Today, I welcome Alex Hutchinson, head of James Allen Girls School in London. In this episode, I discuss single-sex education, carbon-neutral schools, gender equality, and outdoor education. You spent almost your entire career working in girls' education. Has this been a conscious decision on your part, or is it just how the cookie crumbled? Uh, it certainly wasn't a conscious decision the first. So I started off teaching in co-ed um, and we happened to be relocating uh, and I happened to find a job in a school that I just loved the feel of and it happened to be a girls school. So it was certainly was not a conscious decision uh, in terms of the first move, but it's very, very definitely been a conscious decision since then. And I just, I just love it. I love the energy, the vibrancy, the friendship, the support, the laughter. Uh, I love the lack of stereotyping and I love that genuine sense of individuality that you get in girls' schools. So the initial sortie was not, but very definitely a, a conscious decision since then. And do you believe single-sex education is right for everybody? Uh, well, I think it's a question that we often get asked as heads, actually, as heads of single sex schools. And I would always say very strongly that choosing a school is about fit. Um, and I would say that the choice between single sex and COVID is not the thing that you should have at the top of your list. So I'm absolutely going to a single sex or I'm absolutely going to a co-ed school. You know, it's much more important that you are finding a school where the ethos chimes with you, uh, where you go to visit and there's just something special and something tangible about, tangible about that school that, that, that you walk into. You know, and that shortlist may well have single sex schools on it. It may well have co-ed schools on it. Um, and some will be a perfect match for your son or daughter and some you know, and some of those that didn't make the shortlist just weren't for whatever reason it was when you got there. So I think that I would very definitely say, much as I am absolutely committed to single sex education, choice of school for a parent is without question about what is the right fit for their own son or daughter. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, when I certainly looking around schools with my four kids, you know, there are, we have four kids at four different schools. Um, single sex, co-ed, the, the whole range of it. And it's exactly that. You have to find the right fit for your child because you want them to come out happy and confident and each school is different for each child. Um, so it's great advice. And I think a lot of it is about what qualities are important to you as a parent as well. Uh, you know, where, where do you go and visit a school where you see that reflected in everything? Where do you see it reflected in the students, in the staff? You know, where do you see it reflected in the head? Um, you know, and it's important for you at that point when you're choosing schools to really, really know what qualities are important to you in life. You know, I have a great big poster on the wall behind me that says work hard and be nice to people. You know, it's a very, very simple rhetoric in life, um, but it's one that I will try and role model every day as a head. You know, and some people will think that's a fantastic message and other people will be looking for it for a different message so you know it's a very very personal choice that you're making and i have that exact phrase on my wall behind my desk do you we should tweet it simon uh, absolutely I, th I think i have done in the past you know it, it really resonates actually and i see you know it's it's really important that everyone has that that determination that slight ambition to want to work hard and it's not about material worth it's feeling good um, and actually, if you are nice to people, there's nothing better. You know, everyone knows that feeling when there's unease. No one likes to feel that. So, you know, but it's, it's very difficult teaching teenagers that because they, 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 they go through you know, this, this roller coaster of emotion. Um, and I've got two teenage daughters currently. Uh, I feel one's just come out of it or really coming out of it, the other one's going <laughs> in. Um, so um, I, I kind of want to talk to you about you taking over 
and filling, I'm going to say big shoes because your predecessor at Jags did an incredible job. Um, do you Absolutely. feel like there's added pressure when taking on not just a school with such that status and history, but following on from a head who did great things? I, I, it's a really interesting question, actually, and I, I have absolutely loved the fact that I've taken over a school that has massive history and massive tradition. I don't feel it adds pressure to the role. I think that, you know, a very when I took over my first headship, um, my very wise predecessor said to me, you know, Alex, you are simply the guardian of this school, you know, and, and make sure that you look after it. And she was absolutely right. And it's something that you don't ever really realise until you're, until you're doing the job that, that you're doing. But, you know, how amazing. James Allen founded us back in 1740. He had a pioneering vision for the education of girls. And what a tremendous legacy for me in 2020 to have picked up as a head. Um, and I think, you know, for, for all of us as heads, what we are looking to do is to make the decisions that make this the best possible experience it can be for the students in our care at the time and to make the school better for future generations to come. And it's a, it's a huge responsibility, but it's a tremendous privilege as well. Um, you know, and it's very kind of you to say that JAGS has great status. Uh, you know, it is a huge privilege to be here, but empirically, everybody in this community is striving for the same thing, which is for each girl to be happy, to have a dynamic experience and to fulfill her potential. And, and some of that will be through the tradition of the school. Some of that will be achieved about through making bold decisions for the future. You know, uh, you know and, and you take over from whoever you take over. Sally Ann did an amazing job here. Um, she was very, very generous in all of the handover that, that we shared, but we are different people. Um, and you know, it, it's not really until you've done the job that you realize that there will be a time when the school begins to reflect the personality of the head who's in post and that's just exciting um you know you, you give your life to this job um and how exciting to feel that it's reflected back to you at, at the same time so you know i'm very grateful for everything that sally ann did in, in her tenure and really exciting to work out what the, what the next step of the direction will be for us yeah and it's great and i saw that you know one of the the big stamps that came in this week was that jags is committed to become a carbon zero school by 2030 wow how did that come about and how much of that was driven by you, the leadership, and how much of it by the girls themselves? Well, I, I mean, the girls feel passionately about environmental issues. Um, it's really important that we make this commitment together. Uh, I am absolutely not saying it's going to be easy, but we've made that commitment. So I'm a great believer in that, you know, uh, if you don't set out to achieve something, how will you ever know what you can do? So that's what we what we set out for. And I, I sort of feel I found a fantastic quote the other day, Simon, from Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, it has long since come to my attention that people of accomplishment rarely sat back and let things happen to them they went out and happened to things and i just think it's brilliant and i think it's an absolutely perfect fit for where we are here at jags you know these girls go out and happen to things um, and so we are going to happen to the environment over the next 10 <laughs> the next 10 years so wish us luck yeah i i think i think it's a great area and what, what i've seen again visiting schools all around the world actually seeing this generation this whether we call them the millennials or they're the alpha generation coming through is that in you know the environment sustainability the planet and the world that they're inheriting is more important to them do you think that's a, an accurate statement than say our generation or maybe our parents generation 
I would say without questions. I mean, absolutely. It is, it is so on the radar of the young people um, of this generation. And it is right that we should respect and we should listen to their views. You know, we're in the middle of our 11 plus interviews at the moment, which we're doing online and they're an absolute delight. But you know, when you, when you ask them, uh, you know, what do you think the biggest challenges facing your generation are? They talk about the environment. They talk about plastic in the oceans. They talk about climate change. They talk about sustainability. You know, and we have a responsibility that we are, you know, that, that we are listening to those voices. So, yep, it is absolutely huge for them. You know, uh, you know, we think about the anxiety that young people face, and it, it's astonishing to think now, isn't it? You know, compared to our generation, that young people are anxious about their environmental futures. You know, whereas I, I think it's probably fair to say we didn't. It wasn't really on our radar. Yeah, it, exactly. It wasn't, um, and I certainly see more and more schools adopting that eco feel. There's even some some schools that have been set up. And there's one incredible one in Dubai who's literally has got biodomes as part of their learning environments, and they are all learning about the ecosystem, the world, um, and how that impacts and how they can make a difference. So we're certainly seeing it, and I think it needs to be a massive part of curriculum and not just the extracurricular that you do, but maybe within schools itself, they need to be thinking more about what they can do. That's right, and you know, and, and that lovely environment where actually um, the students here feel that they can they can say to us, you know, why have we got um, why have we got plastic disposable cutlery? You know, at the moment, uh, you know, if girls are taking takeaway lunches out of out of the dining hall, why have we got plastic disposable cutlery? Oh, actually, no, good point. Let's go and find some sustainable uh, disposable, you know, just more disposable um, cutlery for you. So that it is right that their voices are heard and they want them to be heard as well. Yeah, we can't talk about girls' schools without touching on equality and female empowerment. Um, and it's really refreshing to see such a movement and such a, a group of, of not just women, but there's men involved too, in trying to make sure that the conversation is being told and, and listened to and everybody's contributing to it all. Um, do you think that it's more important now? And do you think that there's, I think there was a quote from the Gates Foundation that says, true equality might still be almost 100 years away, which is frightening for a father of two daughters. How do we speed up that process and what role do, you, do schools like yours play? I think we play a huge role. Actually, you know, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, about Leonardo da Vinci. You know, we, we schools like this need to go out and happen to people. And I, I just think that one of the most amazing things about about girls' schools, in particular, is that expectation. Um, you know, for, for me as head, this is a school, the senior school. We are eight hundred and thirty girls in the senior school. But in in all of that, what expectation can I have? I, I can expect the girls to be the academics, the, you know, the athletes, the environmentalists, the entrepreneurs, the bookworms, the inventors, whatever it is, but the leaders. But what I'm expecting them, the, the most crucial thing in all of this is that I expect them to be whatever they want to be. And I don't think that there is a more powerful message for us as leaders of girls' schools to say, girls, you can be what you want to to be there is no stereotype waiting for you and and to get them used in their education you know from the age of four to 18 of being the person that they want to be uh, and i just think it's hugely important in terms of the role that we have to play but you know the other side of it before you know we, we can't make it all sound like the land of milk and honey um the other side of it is you know the, the girls do have to have that robustness and that resilience because there are going to be bumps in the road you know and if they can weather them while they're here they're going to be much better prepared to weather them when they're outside of school you know uh, and they've learned to dust and 
themselves down in, in what is a very supportive network. Um, I, I found a quote, actually, I found it on Twitter the other day, actually, from um, Shirley Chisholm, and she said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I thought that is one of the best things that I've ever heard. And, you know, the, for these girls to understand that, actually, you know, if somebody's not expecting them to do that, just bring yourself along and let's listen to what you've got to say. I think it's just wonderful. And I would hope that that's very much the experience that they get here. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Social media is a big part of not just our lives because we're on it and immersed in it, but our students' lives. How much of an active role does a school play in ensuring that not just the safety side, because I think that sometimes gets overplayed, but the education and the empowerment of using it effectively becomes part of their everyday kind of lives. Um, how, how does JAGS go about making sure that social media is not dis, dis, disregarded, but it becomes an important part of their armory that they start to use as they become an adult and leave school? I think it's a really good question and I think you know you're right for us not to focus on what are the negative aspects of it um, it is it's not an easy world for them to navigate and you know and young people will make mistakes in it um, but I think you know if it's very interesting for them as the generation who have grown up with this uh, you know as their sort of native technology but you know, that expectation that they can reach audiences that they wouldn't otherwise reach you know and we have you know we have a number of um, outlets for them that the girls are the students here are in control of um you know if we think about our, our eco um uh, initiatives and so on you know we want that to be driven by the girls we want the girls to be you know to be to be spreading that message um throughout and i think that the, the more empowerment that we can give them to say use this as a force for good and you know and the lovely thing in schools happens when they become our teachers as well and they say but actually have we thought about doing it this way because this might reach a different audience or this might reach a better audience or actually this is the target that, that we want to get to and I think that is a, a really exciting academic environment where you're thinking I'm learning you know we're learning from each other here um, so I think that you know as I say you know we we can't always focus on what are the negative aspects of it it's not easy being a teenager at the moment but you know you're absolutely right in your focus of how do we use this it's not going to go away it might change um, but how do we really, really focus it um, and use it for the good and for the sake of reaching other people who we potentially wouldn't otherwise reach? Yeah, and I'd almost go to say that I think sometimes parents and adults are the worst role models for the children because we're, we're immersed and caught up in, in the devices and we, we get dis, you know, disrupted um, and almost lost into it because we're connected to our own networks in the same way. Um, and we, we do need to build that, that, that rapport and that human connection with our children. So they know when to take a break. I call it digital detox, where we can just have a period and a time where devices are just not needed. They're a very important part, but you need to learn to live with it because there's gonna be times when you become an adult that you need to be strong and go, I don't need it. I need it to bring it into my life where it's mm -hmm. gonna enrich it, whether it's through social, whether it's gonna actually empower me and make me better at my job but it will never go away. And that's the difficult thing. 
And I do think that, you know, given what we've been through in the last um, eight or nine months, you know, and the amount of time that we've all spent on screens, you know, I, I think if, if we needed a kickstart to say we need time away from screens, there it was for us. Um, and uh, you know, I do feel very strongly that, you know, moving forward, you know, in terms of the employment market coming up, there's going to be so much value placed on that human interaction, the things that screens can't bring, um, and all of those skills that employers are looking for um, that you, that can't be replaced by by a powerful device. In my assembly the other day, when I was talking about my slightly not my, not the most exciting habits uh, hobbies in the world, you know, we talked about walking up and down hills. Um, we talked about uh, jigsaws, um, and we talked about doing crosswords. Uh, now that may not be a list that uh, that everybody's excited about, but it's you know it says that in any role that we do, we need time away from the screens. We need time where we're just uh, doing something different. Um, and there's a brilliant a brilliant article by Simon Barnes, a Times um, journalist, how actually for those people who have slightly geeky or slightly, slightly nerdy hobbies, actually we are the people who will really, really understand what it's like to love things. And if you don't have that passion for something, then perhaps we should feel sorry for you because you don't know what it's really like to be embedded in and committed to something. Um, so uh, anyhow, I have had some secret jigsaw and crossword and walking up and down hills fanatics and vegetable gardeners coming to see me after that assembly. I'm all in on the jigsaws. Jigsaws really come out this time of year, but why? You know, they, they should be out all, all year round. Um, the other thing that I'd almost bring in from, from that about hobbies and, you know, is, is teaching our kids to be bored. Mm -hmm. you know, right now, they, they, they don't know how to handle boredom sometimes because it's very easy to pick up a device, turn on a TV, just connect yourself back into this, this digital infrastructure without going, actually, I'm now going to really stretch myself and learn how to get out of my boredom. I'm mm -hmm. going to go out, I'm going to go and build something in the woods, I'm going to go and do something. Um, and that's something I feel that needs to be taught more into to schools and maybe it's a bridge that we need to do with parents because I think parents are sometimes caught in this, this difficulty where they don't really understand what their kids are doing because they're all on these devices and they don't know what's in there. Um, but you don't want to take it away and force that because then you get the fire the fire back or the dragon guarding the device um it's like cutting off a limb but boredom. It is. yeah we you know we were saying um for those of us who grew up sort of in you know in the 80s or early 90s um it was a bit like going back to our childhood there wasn't very much to do it was and brilliant. we had to it was brilliant and we had to relearn to occupy ourselves with a genuine enthusiasm of uh, you know hey the vegetable patch has never looked better um but uh, you know for, the, for those uh, digital natives for, for whom it was the first time they experienced it it must have been quite a shock actually i would suggest yeah it was and, and just going out the repetitive nature of walks you know i loved it mm -hmm. going out in the walks i love yep. the freedom i like to think and actually i got into um astronomy I, I just thought i'm fascinated by what is beyond the earth's atmosphere decided to buy myself a telescope and start to go out and stargaze and just see the most incredible um universe that's out there and we kind of are so insignificant in a way when you kind of do that and that's what it did for me i found another passion that i've always wanted to do but i never found the right constructs to justify doing it there's always something else that i absolutely we went back to sort of hunter-gatherer mode as well with a fire pit we had a fire pit in the garden and the weather was so amazing that at some point in most days there would be some firewood collecting and you're like oh, okay <laughs> we must collect fuel for the fire it, was it, sounds, it, it sounds like we're running parallel lives exactly that 
<laughs> it was, and and the marshmallow came out. I, found, I bought a. We 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 got introduced to s'mores. I don't know if you've had s'mores, the American. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, where yeah. it's kind of it's it's a marshmallow. It's a kind of a, it's a biscuit. There's a bit of chocolate, so you, you kind of put it in, and then it's like a, you sort of sandwich it all together. I mean, it's divine. I mean, if you want to go a little bit further, you put a slice of strawberry in it. Uh, that's the way we take Very it. Very nice. But I bought like a a s'mores um, kind of prong, and it has about five or six to do it with a large family like ours. You know, just all having the individual ones became became quite dangerous as well with my nine-year-old son. So we had this thing, and that became, I think it was out every week we were, we were on the s'mores. Um, so I think I put, I put on more weight, actually, during lockdown um, than, than, than I planned to. But the other thing that made me laugh was, you know, we got, you, you, we got into very different routines to the ones that, that we were used to. And obviously, you know, we have two very busy lives um, in, in terms of two very busy jobs. So we did spend a huge amount more time. At the time, we were both running boarding schools as well. Um, I've obviously now moved to, to a day school. So we, we did get a significant amount more time to, to spend with each other. And we got into routines of walks and whatever. And we found after however many weeks that lockdown went on for, we were still, you know, we, we would do the same walk and the same, we would walk past the same tree and we would make the same joke. And we made the same joke every day for however many weeks that lockdown went on for and it was still funny by the end of lockdown and you're like we really have boiled this round down right down to its most empirical nature of living yeah and i suppose eventually it became a bit like groundhog day where yeah. it, it did and you had to really some some days it was difficult um to kind of dig yourself and bring yourself up and go right i'm i'm going to focus i'm going to do something i'm going to do this and it's going to be slightly different um, but again, it was a really great test of someone's mm -hmm. metal and grit and resilience to be able to deal with that. Yeah, and um, I think you know we learn we learn things about ourselves, um, and we learn things about ourselves as leaders, um, and we learn things about ourselves as leaders in times that none of us ever expected to see. So yeah, absolutely, um, I couldn't agree more. You've mentioned a couple of times during our conversation, but I kind of want to bring it to the front: is that you're married to another head, right? So two heads of two leading um, independent schools. Whilst that must be great sometimes to bounce ideas around together and maybe mentor each other through some challenging times, imagine it could be hard to switch off from talking about schools. How, how do you manage that? I, I think it, it is fair to say um, that Chris, my husband is very, very, very long suffering. <laughs> <laughs> he is immensely patient. In fact, I may even call him Saint Christopher. Um, and it is brilliant that he is there. You know, we're both there for each other at the end of a long day to, to soak up the news. But you're right. The, the, I would say the benefits of it far outweigh, um, outweigh the other side. You know, people will talk about the loneliness of leadership, but, but genuinely, I never feel that. I genuinely never, ever feel that at all. Um, I, I think that, you know, we've talked a little bit already. You know, how do we switch off from it? With plenty of fresh air, very, very hearty hobbies, out walking, um, out cycling out gardening but one of the things that I absolutely think is just amazing about Chris and one of the things I love about him is he has this unbelievable ability just to empty his head of the week's congestion uh, and to live in the present so you know we might be out and about in the garden and he'll say what are you thinking about and I'll say well I'm just thinking about whatever is going on in you know whatever area it might be of the school and I say to him what are you thinking about uh, as he's chopping logs and he says I'm not thinking about anything apart from chopping the logs. And I think, wow, that is something that I could very definitely learn. Me too. Um, 
yeah just to empty your head of it all um and uh, so yeah so we we try to you know term times are intense and and i think for those people who haven't worked in in education um our lives are dictated by term times and uh, and holiday time um and so you have two very very different routines by which you by which you live your life and you know that term time will be hard work it's immensely exhilarating it's immensely rewarding they're brilliant brilliant jobs that we do um, I, I think they're absolutely fantastic but there is a sense of when the holidays come up a change in pace uh, very definitely Definitely. And we, we both hanker after days in the holidays where there is nothing in the diary whatsoever. And we can decide what we do on a particular day. Yeah, Chris, I mean, Chris, I met, I've, I've met Chris a number of times and had some really good conversations. He's, he is a very calming influence. Um, and actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the phone to him and he's, he, I need him to mentor me on how do I keep a, <laughs> I keep a clear head? I, I feel I'm in turmoil most of the time because I've got so much going on, buzzing around my head. And I actually need to be really distracted to be able to really relax rather than sitting down, I can't. And even doing, you know, popping mm. logs, I can't just do that because I'll still be thinking about something because then it becomes part of that. Um, so he, it sounds like he's, he, he's got it absolutely licked. So I'm gonna have to drop him some mentoring um, requests. Um, I, I wanna finish off because I read a letter you wrote to the alumni community at JAGS um, and something you said struck me. You said, I'm looking forward to engaging in an active period of listening. Only by doing this will I really get to understand the heartbeat of the school, the traditions, the excellence, the grumbles and the non-negotiables. Are you still listening or have you got a clear vision of what you now want to do and what you want JAGS to be? Well, gosh, I am very definitely still listening. So I am uh, about three quarters of a term through uh, my my first term here at JAGS. Um, and and the, the very interesting thing for me is the last time that I was appointed, I was appointed internally. Um, so my first headship, I'd been the deputy head uh, at, at that school and then became the head. So it's been very, very different this time around uh, coming in. And even though I knew the school from, from having been here for, for, for a year, um, about 10 years ago, it's very, very different, obviously, coming back as head. So very definitely uh, still listening um, and it's it just been an absolute delight getting to getting to know the community um, lots of lots of just amazing things that happen lots of lots of surprises and just a really exciting vision that will crystallize you know and it's very interesting coming into a school of um, of, of this standing um, and, and, and as we've talked about tradition and, and status because this is about okay this is an outstanding school it does amazing things and so how do we crystallize all that is fantastic about it while still making sure we've got a really contemporary view and how do we crystallize that sort of that next phase of the strategic direction for the school. So it's really exciting times and I am learning every day. Um, and you know, and I, I think as a head that if you're not prepared to learn every day, then, then it's absolutely not the job for you. So I am, I'm really, really enjoying that period of listening at the moment. Yeah, fantastic. And no doubt you've got your own ideas that you want to bring in and they'll come in at, at some point. Um, is, is there anything you can give us a hint at that, that um, Alex has, you know, under her sleeves that Jags is going to do something different in the future under your leadership. I, I think, to be honest, uh, the, the, I mean, the key areas at the moment, it's been very interesting coming in at the moment, because obviously, first and foremost, coming in in this climate, um, our, our job is the safety and the welfare of our community in these circumstances. And so that is without doubt where, where the vast sort of focus is at the moment. And we, we just have to be patient about the next layers of strategic planning. They will come in due course. I think for me, the key areas are about um, the people and the community. This school has an incredible history in the 
the community. And so how do we really, really make sure that we've embedded that and that we are reaching out to those uh, students um, and those people in our community who wouldn't otherwise um, be able to have this opportunity? I think there are bold decisions to be made about learning. You know, we are entering a really um, fascinating era post summer 2020 exam results where everything got turned on its head and questions were asked about exams that I, I think genuinely have never been asked before um, and I think we're coming into a really interesting time about what are exams for where people are beginning to question the validity of, of the current exam setup and that's going to, to, to need some bold decisions to be made um, I think that there is there is a huge learning isn't just for the students in school learning is for us as staff as well for the teaching and the support staff um, so you know, so what do we put in place so that that all of our fantastic staff know that they are supported and what the next steps of their professional development are. I think there's there, there's a, always a lot around um, around the sort of the buildings master planning um, and, and a, a huge amount of what we got is what we've got is brilliant. But there will always be bits where you're thinking, okay, is you know um, where are the bits that we really need to turn our attention to to make sure that this is a very very contemporary facility um, and you know not second guessing but educatedly guessing what is going to be become important in the next few years in terms of our of our buildings provision and I think as we touched on earlier Simon in the interview the piece around sustainability um, that has to be at the heart of, of everything that we do and sustainability sustainability isn't just around the eco credentials of the school it's around sustainability for future generations in terms of the decisions that we make around our our bursary provision and our you know our partnership and our outreach so it's a very very broad palette um, and I've given nothing away did you notice exam reform though I completely agree with I think this is this has shaken the tree a bit. I, I hope that there's going to be an evolution. I don't think we're, we're quite ready for a revolution yet, but with the provision and the way we've done with online learning too, hopefully there's going to be a step forward. You know, when you start to look at the future of work, the future school, what does it all kind of boil down to, and what are we trying to teach and educate these young men and women mm. to go and on? I think yeah, and I think that one of the you know one of the key questions is um, you know exam reform has you know we we sit in a, in an, in a, in an exam system at the moment that tests us on a on a large amount of knowledge that we hold um, that we're asked to apply um, in a series of terminal exams and you know the world has changed we don't hold large amounts of information anymore we you know if we want large amounts of information we go and look them up um, and and then we apply that so it's very very interesting into whether whether this does fit moving forwards and, and how will we respond to um you know to, to those changes that are coming yeah and the other question that you have to ask is um you know at what point is a decision made that for i don't know 120 students in year 11 to sit and write on a piece of paper is the best way to gauge um grades in exams uh, you know how many of us will go out into the world of work and sit and write things on a piece of paper now yeah, it's exactly. I mean, I, I still have a book that I like to write in, but it's most of the time it isn't. It's all digital. Um, mm. But, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's like carrying a calculator or learning how to do. There's certain things that you need, but the rest of it, it's, it's going to has to be skills based. You know, we need critical thinkers, creative thinkers, problem solvers. You know, we need those with empathy, with those softer skills, mm. the character side. Mm. 
Yeah, um, and flexibility, um, teamwork, yeah. uh, all of those things. But, you know, I, I think as well, though, these are the major events in our life that, that precipitate changes. You know, uh, you know, and I'm sure that you and I have both changed parts of our routine over the last you know, eight or nine months. And, you know, I ran my previous school from, um, you know, from home for, uh, for, for a significant number of weeks and didn't print a single piece of paper. Uh, and it was that sort of jolt and that shock of, uh, you know, of moving into a, into a digital world. And my, you know, even if you look at that tiny example, of something my habits around printing have changed since school shut on march the 20th um, or whatever i think it was march the 20th you know, i have printed a, a tiny amount and all it needed was for me to make a commitment you know for, for it to happen and for me to make a commitment i don't need to do this anymore yeah. um you know and if you think changing about that, habits tiny, changing habits changing that habits, we've had yeah. and they're yeah, always and it, things and whenever I talk to our, you know, sort of our 11 plus candidates or whoever it is, you know, when they're talking to me about environmental issues, which we were talking about earlier on in in our meeting, you know, uh, you know, we talk about plastics in the oceans and they talk about all their concern about that. And, uh, you know, and I, uh, my question back to them is, but how are you going to persuade people to change their habits? That's actually the biggest challenge your generation has is to get people to change their habits. It's not going to be easy. It's not. It's not. But we need to start somewhere and we need to keep mm -hmm. telling our young men and women um, who are going through our schools that they can do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and they, can, I, they, can, they can bring their folding chair to the table. They can bring their folding chair. On the folding chair note, Alex, I, I could talk for a, a long time on lots of different subjects. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on the Inspiring Schools podcast. Um, JAGS is an incredible school and I can't wait to um, get an opportunity to come back and see you guys. Oh, so it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Um, please say hi to Chris, by the way. I'm going to go home and chop some logs and try and <laughs> think about nothing but chopping logs. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now. <laughs>